diving into data. Diving, diving, data. Diving into data with T.C. Riley. Hello, hello, hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Diving Into Data. I am your host, T.C. Riley. How are we doing out there? How's everything going? The world around us continues to open up more and more and get back to normal as it relates to COVID. Obviously, uh, here in America, we have, uh, and frankly, all over the world, um, there's a lot of other focuses around racial equality going on. Um, But um, it is an interesting time to be alive. Um, And so the topic today we're really going to look at um, is, uh, frankly, how things have come back a lot quicker than normal. Um, Again, we're going to look solely at the COVID stuff. We're not talking about any of the um, social things going on. Um, But our title this week is, Wait, Are We Back to Normal? Um, and so we're going to look at, uh, the positive signs of the economy, things that are going really well, um, along with frankly, some, uh, warning flags, some other things that are out there that indicate maybe it's not quite as peachy, um, as let's say the stock market is making it seem. Um, but again, our main topic is what the hell is going on with the economy? We're going to get straight to the point. Um, we're going to be blunt about it because I don't really have a lot of answers. We're going to look at the data. We're going to look at the signals that are out there and try and understand it. Um, but frankly, I don't think anyone has any idea. So it uh, makes it that much more exciting of a time for the uh, U.S. economy and the global economy at large. Our industry rapid fire segment um, is going to be around the sports industry. Uh, I'll be honest with you guys. It's a little bit less data driven and more of a sports are back update. Obviously, those of you who listen to the show know how much I love sports, know that it's killed me the last few months. Um, to not really have sports to talk about. Back when Tyler and I were doing this every week, you know that sports probably took up 80% of the airtime. But um, we're going to quickly run around some of the major U.S. sports um, and the fact that are they back and are they really back? Um, what should we expect? Things like that. So other than that, sit back, grab a drink, do some social distancing. Still appropriate, still applicable, even if things are getting better. And let's dive into some data. So our main topic this week, again, I'm going to use a very frank title. What the hell is going on with the economy? Um, Things are really rapidly changing as it comes to the economy. We're getting new data, new reports, new things every day that make us, um, frankly, make me scratch my head on some of them. I can't really believe some of the things I'm seeing, um, but also have helped me kind of take a step back and realize that uh, as we've been talking over the last, heck, it's almost six months at this point um, since we were talking on diving into data about the COVID issues right around the turn of the new year, um, back when it was still this little thing in Wuhan that may or may not actually even impact China, much less the entire world. Um, but there's been updates on a daily basis, and that has not changed, even as we're moving into a recovery and reopening period, um, definitely here in the United States, uh, especially here in Texas, as well as, frankly, the entire world. We are really going to try and understand um, what is going on. There's some weird signs in the economy. There's some uh, data and indicators and some KPIs that uh, they're contradictory. They don't make sense. It it doesn't go with what we would anticipate. It doesn't go with anything we've seen. Um, And we almost expected that. We expected something unexpected, as weird as that sounds. Um, But do we have any idea what really is going to happen next? Hint, the answer is not really. Um, But... Let's just start at the top here. So uh, I got this uh, information from a CNN business article that was looking at the stock market. Um, The thing that brought this to my attention and and probably um, has been a focal point for many of you is that the NASDAQ yesterday, um, or actually earlier today on Tuesday the 9th, um, topped 10,000 for the first time. Um, And it hit an all-time high. Yes, one of the U.S. primary stock markets, yes, it is one heavily influenced by tech and hasn't 
um, been hit as hard as other global exchanges um, due to its heavy tech reliance. But it's still a major U.S. stock market, and it hit an all-time high. What is going on? Three months ago, we were talking about um, the worst stock market crash and the biggest drop we've ever seen, the biggest daily drops, and now we're back. I mean, yes, things are getting better. It's great to see. Again, we're back in the office. I'm recording this from the lovely Market Scale Studios at 901 Main Street in downtown. However, it doesn't. It's not difficult to see on my commute in when there's no traffic on the roads. It's clear that things aren't fully back to normal. Um, we're not still going out to restaurants. Yes, we're going out to restaurants a little bit more occasionally here and there. You're still getting to go, but uh, you look around. There's still a ton of the economy that's not fully open. Things have not. Uh, it, we're in no way, shape, or form are in a position to say, "Ah, we've recovered from this." However, the stock market would have you believe that things are back to normal. Again, back to our title. Wait, are we back to normal? Uh, the things that have really driven the stock market, again, I mentioned the NASDAQ's the one a lot of people have been hanging on since it's the one that's uh, breaking records again. And it is important to recognize, again, that is a tech-heavy um, uh, index that has a lot of companies that were not as impacted by COVID, a lot more uh, technology, online, software-related companies um, than are generally out there in the economy. Um, so that was a big piece. But there have been two really big things um, in the last week or two that have been driving up the stock markets. Because again, even though the NASDAQ's the one um, going crazy, um, uh, broader, we're still well below our March 9th, or I'm sorry, February 19th, which is kind of our all-time high across all of these stock markets. Um, but we're getting really close to being back there for a lot of them, frankly. It's not just the NASDAQ. There's a lot of global exchanges that are coming back to normal. And uh, in the U.S. market specifically, there's two big things that seem to be driving this. One is general optimism. So uh, that is optimism from a health perspective. Um, the messaging has changed um, around the uh, expected severity. We're much lower than the number of deaths that were projected, all those kind of things. So from the health side, um, the uh, confidence that our healthcare system has adapted to a point that even if there were additional spikes in the future, we would be able to uh, have the facilities and resources necessary to take care of people. Um, the whole flatten the curve thing kind of worked, frankly, if you want to look at it from that perspective. Um, but additionally, optimism there, the optimism, some of the other kind of tertiary points, um, things like auto sales are almost back to normal um, in the last month compared to the pre-COVID era, which, and again, the last month we're looking at the month of May, a lot of things were not open throughout May. So the fact that auto sales, which is a leading um, consumer spending indicator, which if you listen to diving into data, you know that I... Um, consumer spending is my number one KPI for anything in the economy. Uh, the fact that we're back or getting closer there, um, have a more promising health outlook. The fact that more and more people are going back to work, things are starting to reopen and go better. Um, the optimism itself, again, keep in mind that stock markets are based on perception, not always reality. Um, it is what people are willing to pay for a stock or value a company at. It has nothing to do with the actual tangible value um, of what that company is or has been producing or anything like that. So perception drives reality when it comes to the stock market and our optimism overall is definitely having a big piece in that. Um, but the one specific data point that also really gave it a boost over the last two weeks was the unemployment numbers for May came out. Um, and I also, in addition to that CNN business article I mentioned, I also had a great Forbes article I used for this um, that was talking about how the economic experts are wrong. Um, what we were expecting um, since this started, when we even had an entire episode almost entirely dedicated to unemployment and how high it could theoretically go, um, once things started to be 
better than the worst case scenario that we were kind of prepped for um, throughout March. Um, we realized that it probably wasn't going to skyrocket into the 40s that people were expecting at one point. But we were still pretty comfortable from a, I believe it was mid-14s, high 14%, um, close to 15% for the month of April. We expected it to get worse in May. We expected it probably to be eclipsing 20%. Um, we thought that would probably be the peak. You know, it would get better after that. But we still expected, um, with that unemployment data kind of being, again, historical in arrears for the previous month by the time it comes out, we expected it to be pretty bad. And it was down to 13.5%. Um, so the fact that we have this consumer optimism, the fact that we have these better unemployment numbers, which are indicating to us that people are maybe getting back to jobs, um, companies are rehiring quicker than anticipated or bringing on more of their workforce more immediately than they anticipated um, are, are a huge component to what we're seeing here and what's going on. The other thing that as we get into, okay, this is a lot of economics. We haven't really hit on a lot of data yet. The one thing that really captured my interest, I was reading in this article and I actually did some side research based on the uh, uh, information that was in this article around high frequency data points. So when we're talking about high frequency data points, what we're talking about are maybe not real-time stats, that's not an exactly analogous comparison, but we're talking about data points that we're able to get um, on a near immediate basis, on an hourly basis, at the very least on a daily basis. Um, so this is not necessarily the national unemployment rate, which again, we know is uh, kind of fudged a little bit based on last month's data, and it's really hard to wrangle all that. What we're talking about is using tech and technol or technology and the different analytics capabilities that are out there now to get more real-time data on different things. So this is getting um, based on mortgage applications process, based on actual car sales being processed from a, a variety of dealerships um, and other avenues and channels. Uh, these data points that we're able now with the data ecosystems we have, we're able to immediately see how things were yesterday, not just how they were last month or last year, which when you talk about economics in general, that's a lot of what it is. It's looking way back on things that um, it's one of those, you know, oh, hey, we should have two weeks ago done this. That's where a lot of the economic data in the past has kind of lived in that space. Um, so it was really interesting to see that as we, we've talked about how data is taking over our world, not only the usage of it, um, the prevalence of it in discussions in business, but just the amount of data that we're capturing, the exponential rise in this data um, ecosystem in the world. Again, it ties in a lot with our data sharing uh, topic we talked about last week. Since we have more of that data sharing, more of this real-time data going to different people and different agencies, we're able to more immediately see positive upticks. So this, again, feeds back to the stock market going up. People who are trading, people who are evaluating, people who live in that space are not necessarily having to go off consumer reports from a month ago or even the report from last week. They're able to go off this data from five minutes ago or five hours ago or worst case scenario yesterday morning. And so this immediate access to information and specifically immediate access to large quantities of data has pushed people into a more real-time reaction approach, I guess maybe you could say. They're able to react immediately. The stock market's able to recover more quickly, perhaps. Again, this is conjecture. This isn't a statement of fact by any means, but perhaps the stock market's coming back so quick because we're able to get these tiny little tertiary data points, things that when you look back to, let's say, the Great Depression 100 years ago are completely unfathomable. And frankly, even back in 2008, when the economic crisis hit, some of the data that we have now, it would be hard to believe that we're able to get all this real-time data, get accumulated, get it processed, get get it shared, get it sorted, get it extracted, transformed, loaded. You throw out a fun little data accessory term there. We're able to do all of this with these incredible systems that are not only 
automatically recording all this data and building this, again, this data bubble or ecosystem, but it's able to get different places a lot more quickly. The access to data, the ability to share data around the entire world with the technological advancements we've had have pushed us in a place where I'm starting to realize and again, this is a this is a, a personal observation or hypothesis. This isn't a statement of fact. I believe that as we move forward, when we look at economic recovery and the economic impact of certain events, I think that our timeframes are going to change. I don't think the severity, I don't think the up and down cyclical nature of the economy will ever change. Nothing like that's going to change. What I do expect is, and maybe you could almost take a step back and look at the broader world um, and the way that the world is moving this more, not knee jerk, that's not the term we want to use here, um, but more immediate reaction to different pieces of information, less lag of information, less lag of data getting to people that have to make those decisions, more immediate opportunity to notice something and preemptively, proactively, um, or at least incredibly quickly react to that information in order to change. So I, I, that's, again, even though we can look from a high level, and we're going to dive in here in a second into um, some of the uncertainty and some of the mixed signals, though not quite as happy news. But again, we've been talking about that for months. Let's talk about this first segment, the happy stuff, all the things that are great. I think that this isn't necessarily a blip on the radar. Yes, this is a really unique, weird, frankly, case study um, of the market, of the economy that we've never seen. Um, but the early indications are that some of those stimulus bills are working around the world. Um, they have pushed consumer spending back up to a um, – uh, not to a level that you would frankly expect when the entire globe seems to be going into recession. So potentially those are having an impact that were desired. Um, and also other tertiary accessory data points are now immediately available to more people, more people in decision-making positions, whether that's from a government policy perspective, whether that's from a private business perspective, whether that's from an individual consumer perspective, all of those people in all of those lanes all have more data immediately accessible at their fingertips and I think what we're seeing is now the market and the economy is able to more quickly react based on that information. So it's exciting. Again, it doesn't mean that things aren't going to go up, things aren't going to go down. It just means, in my opinion, maybe we see them go up and go down a little bit more quickly, um, a little bit more steeply. Um, again, down quicker, but also up quicker, which is the coronavirus. If you look at the stock market in a nutshell, exactly what we've been looking at. Uh, the last point on this I definitely thought was interesting. Um, they made a comment on in that Forbes article was what to expect in the stock market. Again, you guys know that listen to the show, I am not a stock advisor. Um, don't listen to what I say. If you value your money, you probably are smarter than that. If, but, uh, well, you're listening to my radio show. Maybe you're not. Who knows? <laughs> but um, expect a shift in the coming weeks, months in the stock market. Um, I would frankly expect the NASDAQ to retreat a little bit while the Dow, NYSE, some of the other exchanges, some of the global exchanges continue to rise because what we're going to see a shift from is from these uh, frankly, overvalued tech stocks, the things that have boomed in the last, um, the FANG uh, you know, conglomerate, uh, the Zooms of the world that we've seen take off through this crisis. We've mentioned how tech has been, um, has not been impacted, frankly, as much as some of the more traditional consumer industries. But some of these beat up consumer stocks are going to be the ones that start to rise over time. Um, yes, retail is still having a heck of a time. We've touched on that. Um, a lot of these other industries and the manufacturing and uh, things that have been more impacted by the social distancing have really taken it on the chin. Um, just as a couple specific examples, go look at the Carnival stock and what it's done. Um, obviously, as cruise ships played a crucial role in the, we'll call the ramp up of coronavirus as a global topic, um, 
royal princess and the like. Uh, but uh, those kind of stocks, those beat up consumer stocks that have taken the bigger hit, the more traditional stocks, those I think we're going to start to see kind of a rise and a shift away from the uh, gains being driven by these tech stocks that continue to boom. Um, I think those are going to flatten out. Again, I think they're overvalued, frankly, that I don't think the bubble is going to burst. I don't like that term, but we are going to have a little bit of retreat there. However, some of these consumer stocks are going to make it up. So I'm hopeful that the consumer stocks are going to continue to advance, continue to get better and continue to grow. Um, We're going to take a quick commercial break here and we'll be right back with more diving into data. Today, 80% of companies are using online learning to grow their business and market scales, online learning solutions are simplifying how you can launch yours from building an enterprise learning management system to course design by our professional instructional design team to full video production and graphic design. Your online university will be best in class. MarketScale's blockchain-powered digital credential program makes it easy to add certifications for your courses, creating powerful brand awareness and authentication for your organization. Education is the highest form of marketing, and MarketScale is making it easier than ever to create and deploy training for your customers, partners, and employees. For more information on online learning solutions, visit MarketScale.com. All right, we're back to diving into data here. A couple more stories. Again, our topic this week, wait, are we back to normal? Um, And specifically, our main topic is what the hell is going on with the economy? Um, So we talked about a lot of the good signs, a lot of things that are out there, how the real-time data is driving that. Are a couple other points that on the um, not quite as happy side that I think are worth touching on and kind of making sure everyone's aware of. Um, The first one was another CNN business article, and this was from uh, talking about mixed signals from China on the economic recovery. So uh, the high level is that in certain aspects, China has had a slower recovery than some people expected. Um, It seems to almost be correlated with the global uptick that China is slowing down a little bit more even, or it it has not seen that same uptick. Um, One of the things that China has definitely been pushing hard to do is, uh, as the quote they use in the article, was spend their way out of the slump. Um, They have been pushing a lot of money um, from the government into the economy. Um, But... Other things to consider when we're talking about China before we even dive in a little bit more to these current mixed signals. The first thing is important to remember, the economy was slowing down pre-COVID. Um, China was having had some economic kind of tertiary indicators that um, the economy was not going to be uh, growing as steadily as it had maybe over the last decade, that they were starting to see some slumps. So um, we need to keep in mind that there were some non-COVID factors that potentially were pushing the Chinese economy down a little bit before this all started. Um, other things to kind of keep in mind, um, obviously China has a lot of other stuff going on right now globally, um, a little bit of the international blame game going on. Um, there's definitely the aspect of uh, the U.S.-China trade war and what that's how that's going to impact. That's been heating up more and more recently um, as we're coming out of COVID, but the also the general hostilities between those countries um, as it relates both to COVID and then everything else going on. Uh, one of those, for instance, being the Hong Kong uh, bill that's being rolled out right now and things going on there. So um, it's also worth noting that uh, as we talk about the Chinese economy, again, the economy was already showing signs of weakening before COVID. And there's a lot of other things going on in China other than COVID. So we shouldn't entirely tie this with the global COVID situation. But I do think it's important um, to kind of note that with China and their economy, trade tells the story a lot of the time. Uh, that is really the single biggest thing that China has uh, has always had a ton um, 
of trade uh, excesses there. You know, the U.S. has been constantly at a trade deficit with China. Um, frankly, China has historically exported a lot more than they've imported. Um, however, you would think that as the rest of the globe opens up, okay, ports are open up, more stuff's coming out of China. But that's not exactly happening. And one of the reasons and theories they discussed in this article was that China is only almost kind of on its own timescale with COVID. Um, they aren't aligned with the rest of the world on the lockdown. What they mean by that is, yeah, there's been a lot of talk in the U.S. how maybe the U.S. was a couple weeks behind um, some of the European countries. We should have done some certain things sooner. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole today. Um, however, it's important to keep in mind that when things were getting bad in the rest of the world, China was already on the recovery. So, um, however, with that, that also meant that China's economy was impacted months before the other economies of the world are, before it became a global economic issue, before it became a issue here in the U.S., China for three or four months had been dealing with this, the shutdown in Wuhan. Um, again, the, the first warning bell um, that the rest of the world saw coming out of China. Um, and the fact that they haven't been aligned, that they reopened, um, you know, as the rest of the world, frankly, shut down. Um, they were trying to push forward and they were on the up and up. Um, again, they could be on the up and up, but when trade is that big of a story and that big of a piece of your economy, well, they couldn't trade for months because they're under a COVID situation, even though the rest of the world was still humming along. And then the rest of the world shuts down when China finally starts ramping up. So we're almost talking about six months now where China has had significant trade barriers, I guess maybe is the way you could put it. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see again. I, you would expect, and when I when this first started, I mentioned how I was almost viewing China as a three months ahead of the rest of the world kind of predictor. Um, I'm definitely going to back away from that now, um, given that it, they seem to be almost on their own path here. While the rest of the world seems to be kind of uh, taking these steps together and going in the same direction, both in terms of reopening and then the economic impact and what the stock markets are doing, all those factors, China doesn't seem to be on the same page. Um, it is important to note that the government has also um, done stimuluses to actually increase imports, um, try to um, facilitate more trade with company countries. Obviously, that's going to hurt their trade deficit, but the more coming in, um, they're going to try and get the economy boosted that way. Um, with that, they're hoping exports rise as well, but they're actually um, putting the money towards imports and increasing those, which I thought was very interesting. Um, and a tertiary thing with that is uh, the author wondered if this could potentially be looking at balancing trade deficits, some of those other tertiary impacts. Um, they're trying to kind of heal those. So I, it's just a really unique case with China um, because they're they're not marching to the beat of the drum with the rest of the world. Um, and again, no longer do I view them as the person that's a couple months ahead, almost predicting the future for the rest of us. Um, I think it's going to be incredibly interesting to watch China over the next few months, six months, year, years to see a again, those signs that they had before all the covid stuff. Where does that go? Does the Chinese economy continue to boom or are they due for a significant regression? And more specifically now, how do all these accessory issues, Hong Kong, the international blame game around COVID, China versus the U.S., how do all these things potentially hamper, for lack of a better term, China's ability to come back from an economic perspective? Uh, but while we're talking about, you know, uh, there's some bad news for China here, doesn't mean that we're out of the weeds yet. Again, back to my normal, my uh, our episode here today, wait, are we back to normal? I think that this is my most simple answer to that. Um and it's an article from Forbes about here's what still threatens the U.S. economy. So my answer to wait, are we back to normal is not yet. And I'm not sure. Uh, we aren't clear on that, frankly. Um, 
And the reason is there are still a lot of threats to the US economy. Again, it's, it's great to see the stock markets where they are. It's great to see consumer spending increasing. It's great that we have, frankly, optimism overall. Um, but this Forbes article detailed a couple of things that could really uh, throw a uh, wrench in that uh, recovery process. Uh, the first one, and probably the most uh, you know logical one here, is a influx or an increase in new corona cases, a spike in new uh, coronavirus cases, um, especially now that the uh, WHO, along with a couple of other organizations, have come out kind of hinting around uh, the expectation that when we hit in October, maybe November, um, we're going to see a secondary spike um, in COVID cases. Again, due to the weather in the summer, they think it'll probably be a little bit better. But in the fall, as we get into the flu seasons and things like that, where you typically see those diseases spike, they're a little concerned about that. Not only is that a concern from the um, most obvious surface level reasons, you know, hospitals, all the obviously the illness and just the human impact of that. However, if we had to um, I'll say, you know, throw on the handbrake again in November. We had to do another shutdown. Yes, we're going to be more educated on how this works and what we can and can't do and yada, yada, yada. But that's really going to hurt because a lot of this optimism has been built upon the groundwork of we dealt with an unprecedented situation, a terrible situation, but we have a kind of a grasp on this. We're confident that even if things aren't actually fully better yet, that we're on the path to being better, um, that we're on the path to a vaccine and recovery and eliminating this and eliminating um, the threat of COVID. However, we have a massive spike again this fall and we have to hit our brakes. We have to shut down the economy again. And even if it's at a lighter regard, uh, that's obviously going to kill confidence and create some significant issues for us. Um, another big one is government layoffs. So some of the largest employers in many states are the state governments. Um, the federal government obviously is a huge employer in and of itself. With these governments, a lot of their budgets are set well ahead of time. Um, funds are collected. Again, you know, last year's taxes paid for this year's government to way oversimplify it. Um, and what we're able to see is that uh, governments are going to have significant budget issues. Um, obviously, everyone is having economic and budget issues. Um, there's going to be some tax issues from people with unemployment. Frankly, you know, their constituents are making less money, potentially. They're going to have less than taxes. But uh, there's a, a pretty set in stone prediction that when the budget cycles come up again for governments, that they're going to have some significant layoffs. Um, they're going to take some big hits on the unemployment side um, from government employees and government agencies. And so the fact that this is probably a little bit behind maybe what I'll call the general and you know uh, economy, the consumer economy that many of us operate in, um, the government impact of that could still be coming, could still be severe. Maybe things recover enough that it's not that severe, but it is something to be aware of and consider out there that government layoffs still could be coming at a large scale. Um, and the last one mentioned in this Forbes article was that the stimulus uncertainty, um, there's still a lot of uh, the details that need to be worked out. Yes, the U.S. government has pushed out a number of um, stimulus packages to help businesses. Um, again, as I mentioned earlier, some of the early indicators are some of those were definitely a little bit successful um, and helped kind of push us back to uh, getting back to normal as quickly as we could. However, um, there's the longer term issues of when this unemployment benefits uh, kind of package has been uh, uh, laid out for the American people. When that expires, when that is tapped out, when that well is dry, okay, now do we have more issues because it's being buoyed by, um, frankly, the federal government kind of printing money. Um, and there's also some other uh, things to consider where uh, there are a number of very valid concerns out there, frankly. This is something I've been thinking of for a couple of weeks. Um, 
the unemployment situation in our country now in terms of unemployment benefits, um, uh, to be simple, there's never been a better time from a benefits perspective to be unemployed. But uh, there are many stories out there of people, especially in some of the hardest hit industries. We're talking about retail. We're talking about restaurants. We're talking about entertainment venues, um, things that are going to still have still have a very long path to come back on. When we're looking there, um, I think what we might see is that, frankly, some of those employees are doing better on unemployment than they were working 40 hours a week. Uh, there's a lot of those businesses, thanks to the federal government um, you know, subsidy on top of whatever the state's giving you in terms of unemployment. Uh, there are plenty of people out there in those service industries that are making more than they ever did um, while they were fully working while on unemployment. So with that, um, are there going to be people who take advantage of that a little too much? Are there going to be people who are resistant to join the workforce and kind of drag um, our unemployment recovery back a little bit or hold it down a little bit because frankly, they have no motivation or reason to get back to work from an economic, financial, or personal financial perspective. Uh, all, all things to consider. Uh, again, it doesn't mean that um, we're not back and things aren't going to get better. It doesn't mean we're not going to continue on this trend. It's more of not meant to be the wet blanket at the end of the segment. Um, it's primarily just a, yes, things are getting better. We look like we're getting back to normal. No, again, we are not back to normal yet, um, but we are headed in the right direction. However, things could still change. So, uh, don't get too comfortable, um, but also don't be too pessimistic. Things are going better than, frankly, I could have hoped for. So uh, we got some um, big things in the works that are going to significantly impact this discussion. Uh, the CARES Act 2.0, um, if it goes out, more government stimulus, more government funding. Uh, there's a lot of uh, things that are left to be decided and that are going to shake out over the next few months and, frankly, over the next year that are really going to paint the full picture. But for now... Hey, things are looking better, and I'm going to take that. Take one more quick commercial break, and we're going to be right back with our industry rapid fire on sports being back. What does it mean to be a maverick of marketing? I'm Shannon Maverick. Join me every Monday at 9 a.m. for the Maverick of Marketing radio show. Each week, I'll be chatting with a different marketing expert to find out what makes them a true maverick. Taking risks is being a maverick. If you aren't learning, you're going to get left behind. You can either contribute to the problem or you can solve the problem. To listen, visit marketscale.com slash industries and click on MarketScale Radio at the top of the page. Stop running with the herd and start being a true maverick of marketing. All right, we're back for our last segment here on this episode of Diving Into Data. And as I've been excitedly mentioning the entire episode, sports are back. Well, sports are about to be back. At least sports are making plans to be back. Um, I grab this. Again, I'm going to be totally frank with you guys. There's not a lot of data here. I'm just excited to talk about sports again. Um, so we're going to quickly touch on three of the uh, major U.S. professional sports organizations and what their plans are, what they're looking at. All of these are from various ESPN articles that they've written, kind of giving updates on what we do and don't know. Um, and I'm going to go in terms of least impacted to most impacted for those three major sports. So the least impacted, the thing, the uh, organization that seems to be kind of taking a just put your head down and power through uh, stance is the NFL, the National Football League. Um, as of today, team facilities are now reopened. Coaches are allowed in the building. Some players are allowed at some facilities and more are going to expect it to be allowed soon. Um it is worth noting there is some imbalance there because this is still based on locations. Um, areas like San Francisco, I believe, is still completely locked down from a uh, public health perspective. So obviously the coaches can't go in there. So there's some uh, inequality there. But team facilities are primarily opening back up or open back up. 
Um, they have come out with additional guidance um, for the plans for this fall, um, including some strict locker room guidelines that I'm not 100% sure how they're going to keep people six feet apart um, in a locker room. Interested to see that. Um, they're inter- they have a lot of specific guidance on how the team is going to handle things, um, wearing masks anytime you're not doing football activities, uh, taking temperatures, doing checks, doing testing, doing all these things. Uh, in general, it's pretty much a be careful, but we're going to continue on as normal. Um, what I find kind of odd and kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit is that they have some pretty strict guidance around what you can do in facilities and wearing masks and keeping people apart. But there's not really any guidance or restrictions on games themselves where you know people are going to be physically contacting each other, hence the game of football. Um, curious to see just kind of how that's going to play out. That's one that I, it's kind of curious that they haven't addressed that more as much as they've addressed all of the day-to-day operations, not the game day operations. Um, but uh, one other little update, training camps will be held kind of in the home cities. Uh, those of you in the Dallas area here you know the Cowboys go out to Oxnard every year for training camp and then come back here just for a week. They'll be entirely up in Frisco at the Star this year. Um, they're not going to have teams traveling across the country or even across the state. Um, situations like the Steelers or someone who kind of uh, play a couple hours outside of town for training camp. Everyone's going to stay home, use their home bases just to maintain them. Um, But really, frankly, I think the NFL is going to be okay. Unless there's some major shift here, um, fans being in the stands are one of the still TBDs that are out there. Um, Obviously, that could vary by state or um, even city potentially um, that the city's hosted in. But the NFL is going to be fine because the NFL makes a ridiculous amount of money from TV. There will still be plenty of folks this fall if there's football being played, even if it's in empty stadiums, even if it's at neutral fields, whatever it may be. There are tons of people who are going to tune in to see that. The big dollars for the NFL are definitely in TV, um, and I think they're going to be okay. Yes, they'll take a hit at the you know with uh, uh, the at or I'm sorry the uh, game day events and you know ticket sales, uh, concession sales, things like that. But the NFL is going to be fine. Um, so jumping into our next league, a little bit further down the totem pole there, is the NBA, um, who has a set plan on how they're coming back. They're going to do a 22-team setup in Orlando at the Disney Complex um, to wrap up the season. They do, uh, I think something they did is really, really smart. Um, compared to the NHL, which is hopping right into an expanded playoffs, which I think is totally fine too, the NBA wanted to stick to its 8-8 eight and eight. Um, playoff kind of structure but what they're going to do is play the last eight games of the regular season um, to kind of replicate a late season playoff chase uh, pretty much the only teams that are going to be back I mentioned 22 teams those you NBA fans might be thinking well there's 30 NBA teams what about the others um, they're going to have 13 teams in the west and nine teams in the east join this so what it is is really anyone who has a chance with these remaining eight games to make the playoffs is going to have the opportunity to do so However, teams that are well out of the playoff picture, they could win all these eight games, every other team could lose, and they're still not going to make it. They're going to stay home. No need to expose them to unnecessary risk. Um, Again, some uh, inequality there when it comes to uh, that means that there are going to be teams out there who aren't going to do anything for nine months, whereas plenty of other teams are going to get kicked back off here soon. Uh, We won't dive too much into that, but um, more what I'm interested in seeing how the NBA does this is that they have a really good game plan. I'm going to start playing, uh, I believe, training camp in uh, mid to late July. They're going to have games going in August. Um, They're trying to really wrap up the NBA finals by the end of October. The reason for that is is that the NBA is supposed to start in October most years. So we're talking about ending this season in October. They've already announced that December 1st is going to be the start date of the next season. So we're talking about potentially like a six-week turnaround from one season to another, which is kind of crazy in professional sports. 
Um, when you think about getting the draft, free agency, the league, new league year, um, all the roster moves, another training camp, all these things that are going to go into that. Um, it's going to be a real quick turnaround this uh, uh, late fall for the NBA, but that's what they're kind of shooting for. Um, only other thing to note that I think is interesting here um, is that uh, there are some discussions whether everyone's going to be allowed at uh, the Disney complex for this late season chase. Um, they are, they've mentioned they are going to allow families to travel in certain situations as long as they adhere to the same testing and distancing practices players are required to follow. Um, however, teams are going to have to bring reduced staff, probably not as many, you know, ball boys, um, locker room attendants, staff, things like that. Um, and also high risk folks who, uh, disproportionately, it is a high number of older coaches. Um, we here in Dallas have Rick Carlisle, who I believe is 60 years old. Um, I think there's like six or seven NBA coaches that are definitely in that high-risk category. I'm going to be kind of curious to see. I would imagine they're all going to be there. Um, I, I, it's, I have a hard time believing an NBA head coach would just say, sorry, I, I can't do this. However, it is going to be interesting to see what happens there. Um, so the, the NBA is coming back. The NHL is coming back, as I mentioned. The NFL seems to be just plowing ahead as if nothing's going on. The one that's in not such a good situation is the good old Major League Baseball. Uh, not looking good for the MLB. Um, uh, by my best guess, if you're asking me if I was a betting man, and I would admit to that on a radio show, but maybe I am. Um, but uh, I think it's highly unlikely we see baseball this year. Um, the last three MLB proposals that have come out um, – have all been uh, frankly laughable from a player perspective i kind of i'm with the players on this one um but it is a complex situation so what's going on in the mlb um is that first off it's important to keep in mind that um we're already you know three months past the start of the baseball season they've already lost a ton of times uh a ton of time and a ton of game time um for them the other thing is unlike some of these other sports that have a little more flexibility in their schedule giving their specific situations um, NFL plays in the winter all the time, NBA and NHL are inside. Um, the MLB can't really push this back too much further. Um, they're running out of time. They can't really play past you know the start of November or so because um, there are a lot of northern outdoor stadiums. So you can't have the Yankees playing in December. Um, there's almost certainly going to be snow and it, it, you know in inclement weather that's going to prevent being able to play. So they're on more of a timeline. That's an issue first off. Um, second, Right when this all kicked off, right when the MLB first delayed the season, they agreed their players that, hey, we need to prorate um, your salary. So if we're only playing half the season, you only get half the pay. Players said, you know what? That's fair. We only get paid for what we play. We'll sign up for that. Now the owners seem to be, frankly, moving the goalposts a number of different ways. Um, they're kind of saying, we're well, going to have to take more of a cut than that because not only are you playing less games, but we're going to lose a ton of money. Um, so you need to kind of shoulder some of that burden. Um, I don't have time today as we're wrapping up the episode to go into all the things that drive me crazy about this. Um, so I'm just going to leave you with a handful of bullets that are kind of really sticking in my head. Uh, one, uh, the owners seem to be forgetting a basic business principle my grandfather taught me when I was little um, in that as the owner of a business, you have very different opportunity and responsibilities than an employee of the business. If you are an owner of the business, you have so much more opportunity to do good when the business does good, but you also have the inherent risk of not doing as well when the business does bad. To be perfectly frank, these owners are lining their pockets year after year after year after year in the MLB with all the money the league makes. Now that it's potentially going to lose money for one year, um, they're saying that, well, the players need to shoulder that burden too. No, you are the owner of a business. You have contracted employees. Um, frankly, they're not. Uh, yes, there are some companies out there that have asked certain people to take pay cuts, but you don't see companies all across America saying, 
hey guys, um, I'm going to have to cut your salary in half this year because you know our, our profits aren't looking as hot. Yes, certain companies are having to cut people. Um, they're having to deal with some really hard decisions. Regular business owners are succeeding through this, and MLB owners are sitting here with their very, very fat stacks behind them saying, well, we can't just take this hit here. We're going to lose a ton of money. Um, that's driving me crazy. Another one that's driving me crazy is that I'm pretty sure the data that they're putting out about the amount of money they typically make and the amount of money they lose is total garbage. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole because I'm going to start yelling into a microphone. But um, frankly, I don't trust what the MLB owners are saying they're going to lose with empty stadiums and doing this. Um, and the third thing that's just frankly ridiculous, if I were an MLB player, I'd be a little insulted, to be honest. Um, the MLB's last three proposals have all been the exact same proposal written in a weird and different way and a different angle. All of them have equated to them getting about uh, MLB players getting actually about 33% or one third of what they were contracted to make this year, even with some of the proposals being almost half a season. Um, one of the proposals was for about a third of the season, so I guess that would make sense. Um, it, they're, they're frankly kind of playing games and they're on a timeline, and it seems like they don't realize just how much of a timeline there are. Um, I think reasonably sitting here on June 9th, um, they have five months to get the season started, wrapped up, finalized, you know, in the books, everything, if we're going to make it work um, to have baseball in 2020. And the clock every single day gets tighter and tighter and tighter. So I don't know what they're doing. Um, I know there are a lot of things with future labor negotiations and the CBA and baseball um, that are kind of coming into play here. We won't also dive into all that, but it's one of these situations neither side wants to give an inch because that inch could turn into a mile the next time there's labor negotiations. But um, I like baseball. Frankly, there's going to be enough sports this fall that me as a sports fan and most sports fans out there are going to be perfectly fine. We'll turn our eyes to the NFL and NBA and NHL and the leagues that are back. If the MLB decides to just punt on this year um, or force through a really bad product um, against the will of their players, um, I think they're setting themselves up long-term um, not to have success. I, the MLB, frankly, I don't think has done enough progressively over the last couple of decades since the steroids era um, to ma maintain their status um, as one of the leading sports. I think they continue to slip, and mismanagement of this situation could cause them to slip even further. Frankly, it's sad to see if you're a baseball fan. So um, to any players or owners out there, come together, y'all, especially you on the owner side. Just bite the bullet. Deal with it. Let's have some baseball. All right. That's all the time I have today. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Diving Into Data. Again, we said the theme today was, wait, are we really back to normal? And we talked about what the hell was going on with the economy. We talked about sports being back. Yes, things are getting back to normal. No, we're not quite there yet, but um, things are encouraging. Frankly, you should be more optimistic now than you were a month ago or two months ago. Um, so with that, I hope that everyone continues to do better and better out there. Hope everyone stays safe and stays healthy. And we will see you again soon on another episode of Diving Into Data.